0: When Reprise Records refused to release Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, Wilco posted it for free on the internet. 200,000 downloads later, non-such records, owned by the same company as Reprise, released the album, and it became critical and commercial gold from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. You're listening to Chasing Rolling Stones and this is episode number 8 featuring Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. Whoa! What's going on, my fellow Chasing Rolling Stoners? How the hell have you been? It has been a very long time since I've gotten on this microphone, and it feels fantastic. Sorry I've been away for so long, but to finally plug in my blue recorder throw on GarageBand and start talking to you all. It feels just, it feels like a weight off my shoulders. I know it's been quite some time. I am back officially from my lengthy sabbatical to hit the mic once again for episode number eight of Chasing Rolling Stones. And this is going to be a great episode. I have lots of things I want to chat about, not just this Wilco album, but a lot of things that have been in my mind lately, we have our albums and ales, your recommendation of the week, and we're going to get in a little bit of my creative writing that occurred over the uh, the past week. This is k coming at you on the line for another week of rock and roll history. We're going to open up that Rolling Stone magazine vinyl vault and take a listen to the top 500 greatest albums of all time list. And here we are today at number 493. I know we're almost out of the back 10, I promise, we're moving along, we'll get there, we have plenty of time to cover the list, and uh, we're with Wilco today. So, uh, now over the course of when we last spoke, it's been a little while, I I recognize that, there's a few holidays in there, a few little uh, away from my house, but um, now that we're back, I've really been thinking about how to get this show moving forward, how to progress it. And, you know, it started out as a project to just capture each of these albums on the Rolling Stone Top 500 list, but now that I've kind of gotten into the flow a little bit, especially with this album, and we'll get into it, but I've struggled. I constantly struggle getting through it. It's, spoiler alert, not my favorite. But, you know, to help push me to keep doing this and uh, get me out of my funk, I just... I've started tinkering a little bit, and uh, I wanted to expand the nature of what this show will be. Um, And you've already seen some of these little flourishes here and there of where my mind is going. Of course, I added the Recommendation of the Week, the Albums and Ales, and I want to keep that going. Uh, Of course, the main focus is always going to be whatever album we're on with the list. That's always going to be the platform in which I choose to, you know, the concept in which I move this uh, show forward, and the real meat of the episode uh, will be how these releases came to be, but to relate this to a multi-course meal, I want there to be other entries. I want you to enjoy listening to everything I have to offer, starting with perhaps a little bit of a amuse-bouche, a little random thought I had for the week, followed by an appetizer. Could be a movie review, could be you know an article I may have read, um, and then we'll get into the main side of all of it. Um, and you know what, whether you want it to be or not, if you stop listening because I make this a more of a digital journal, that's fine. It's totally, I get it, you know, it's not, you know, your fault, it's just where I want this show to go. It allows me to be creative, it allows me to kind of talk about my own ideas, um, and and that's it. So, uh, for those of you that want to hop on the ride, fantastic, I'm gonna love having you, and you know, if you ever want to engage with the show, just feel free to drop me a line. But if this isn't your speed, feel free to to drop off uh, at the next stop, and no worries. There are plenty of things to fill your time with that are more aligned to your taste. So having said that, I want to start out with talking about something that I've been noticing over the past couple of weeks, especially in looking at those box office returns, and that is Thor. Thor. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have got to see Thor Ragnarok. It is awesome, to say the least. It is a fantastic, funny, hilarious, great just popcorn movie uh, to just enjoy a Friday, Saturday night, or a weekend. Um, but something's been a little concerning uh, to me over uh, the past few uh, weeks as I've started reading what the critics have have to say about this movie. And, and most of them are very popular. Um, However, in writing their takes about this movie, you get hot take after hot take of individuals essentially just slurring and slandering the two previous Thor movies, which is, I think, unfair. You know, I now I'm not gonna sit here, talk to you about the majesty that is Thor The Dark World. I don't think that's a great movie at all. In fact, in terms of re-watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm going to rate that pretty much dead last in terms of how I'm going to re-enjoy those movies. But to talk about the very first Thor movie in this, you know, tone, this dismissive tone, it's garbage, you know, this is finally a good Thor movie, Ragnarok is finally a good Thor movie that gets the character right, and it's fun, and it's enjoyable. No, 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 no. You go back, you watch that first movie, and it is a good starting point, if not a great starting point. And I took a little time this week, and I wrote about this. I, If you follow the ChasingRollingStones.com blog, you may have seen a, a little article. The first Thor movie is actually great, and don't you forget it. That's actually written by yours truly. And I posted this a few other places, Twitter, Medium, and maybe people will read it, but I just had to get it out there. It was just weighing on me that nobody enjoys this movie, and I think there are. There are a lot of people that really... Uh, find it an enjoyable piece of cinema. One, it is it is funny. You know what? Say what you will, Ragnarok has lots of LOLs, without a doubt. Taika Waititi did a great job with that. But you go back and look at that first one, and you have the fish-out-of-water story of Thor coming to the human world, not having his powers, trying to get them back, and he is requesting and being petulant and spoiled, and he's slamming things on the ground and asking for horses at a pet store. There are some truly funny moments in that movie that I think a lot of people forget. The second thing is, it's essentially the backbone of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I really made this point, and I know a few other people have pointed this out as well, but when it came out, it followed the first Iron Man, which. Fairer, it made over 300 million dollars. It was a blockbuster right off the bat. It started the whole Marvel Studios off on the good light. But after that, The Incredible Hulk, not so great. How many of you have even seen it? I doubt it. The one with Ed Norton, I don't think so. And then Iron Man 2, which only made about half of the amount of money that the first Iron Man made, and not a whole lot of people enjoy that movie. So in that regard, Thor had a very big uphill battle to go against you know it, it was a lot of weight was on its shoulders if it fails there goes kind of your whole you know plan phase one of building all these superheroes up to have the avengers at the very end of it so um you know it was a it was kind of a swinker sink or swim moment uh the director kenneth brannell kind of talked about this in, a, in an interview he just recently gave where he just said you know like if it doesn't work then you know the all the plans in motion moving forward might not have happened so uh, it really was kind of building up that expansive universe and you kind of see that in the movie itself you have the first time that we as an audience in the MCU go into a different dimension we go you know into the stars into the cosmos with asgard and it kind of takes it from a grounded film into a much larger universe and Also, for the first time, you have two characters, two superheroes kind of sharing the screen, albeit in a very small way with Thor, and then kind of Hawkeye is a little bit of an Easter egg for the audience, but still it kind of starts painting this world that's kind of building and building upon itself uh, into what we would eventually get being the Avengers, and then all the other superheroes later to come. So very big moment for the entire industry um, that is Thor, and it it makes good money. It kind of comes in a little under $200 million. Not great, but good. And, uh, you know, it, it just it doesn't get the credit it deserves, and I wanted to write that wrong. So if you uh, want to read the whole entire piece, uh, just head on over to ChasingRollingStones.com. It's uh, right there in the main page, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that. I had fun writing it. All right, everyone, let's transition into my recommendation of the week. And this is something I've really enjoyed over um, this past few days. I've kind of really gone all in on Hulu and had the whole binge of Future Man. And perhaps you've seen some of the advertisements for this show on Facebook or a few other places, but um, I have to say it is a very fun show. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Very fast-paced, kind of 30 minutes, so it's not like you're just dragging out your whole entire day trying to watch some of these episodes, and it's just a a ton of fun. There are lots of great jokes, uh, and you really think that this is Hulu, which, you know, many of us have kind of seen as this kind of critically acclaimed streaming platform with the um, Handmaiden's Tale, and, you know, they're getting a lot of love, industry love for it, but this is actually, I think, their first time entering into the kind of the adult humor. It's, it's almost like it belongs on Adult Swim, past the midnight show where you'd watch it because there's a lot of dirty jokes, a lot of adult humor, and it's very enjoyable. And they incorporate and mash up tons of lovable sci-fi tropes, whether it's The Last Starfighter, Terminator, Back to the Future... Uh, I've really enjoyed it, especially it's kind of a a trio of characters. You know, Josh Hutcherson, Peta from The Hunger Games, he's your main character. And you have Wolf and Tiger uh, as his compatriots, who are the ones from the future, kind of helping him uh, try to save the world, Uh, and especially the character of Wolf. Uh, I started out watching the show, and it just seemed like another kind of um, Bradley Cooper ripoff, almost. Just kind of that same demeanor and, and acting chops. But uh, he's really grown on me and he's become my favorite character now that uh, I'm almost all the way through. It's just just watching him crack these, these great uh, jokes based on his own personality has been really enjoyable. Uh, reminds me of a buddy of mine back in Orlando, just kind of that you know, energy that he brings to the role, especially in terms of who he is and uh, how he's changing, especially if you get to kind of episode five or six, you, know, you, you imagine this life that he could have lived if he was in our present time as our next top chef. It's just, it's just mind-blowingly funny. And I do have to say, I'll take this moment, Eliza Koop, who plays Tiger, is, um, I just adore her. She is just fantastic. She was fantastic on Happy Endings. She just is incredible in this. And uh, I've just, it's just a great ride to just sit back and enjoy. The only criticism I have, and this kind of goes within the same bucket of Stranger Things, it's really how much borrowing and how much homage can you go before you start, start feeling like you're ripping things off. And there are a few moments in Future Man where I kind of feel this a little bit. You have some some scenes or some um, sequences where, like, gosh, that is literally shot for shot, back to the future, the same plot, kind of the same kind of mindset, almost the same score and soundtrack, too. So it's funny, and you get you get the homage and the inside joke immediately. But, you know, you start wondering, gosh, you know, are, is this even original? Can anybody just pick and choose their favorite moments from all their kind of nostalgic, fun 80s movies and just put together a new piece of material and then say it's their own? Or, you know, is it is it blatantly stealing? I don't know. Uh, join the conversation. If you if you watch this and same thing with Stranger Things, if you feel like it's, it's starting to feel like things are, content is starting to just cheapen and, and just be stolen pieces, say it, you know, let us know. Let us know your thoughts. All right. Switching over to something that I am currently enjoying right now is our Albums and Ales. And remember, this is me being out here in California for this first year, trying to just taste everything I can, especially our California breweries, which are uh, fantastic, and it allows me to just gobble up any and all tastes from the West Coast, Best Coast. Today, I have selected a very tasty brew from Firestone, Walker Brewery, and it is uh, very malty. Uh, Well, actually, let me tell you what it is. That would be helpful, right? Firestone Walker's Double Barrel Ale, or DBA, is what it says on the bottle. This is coming from a bottle. Now, this is a British Pale Ale, and here's the description uh, from the brewery's website. DBA, aka Double Barrel Ale, is the trailblazing flagship beer that started it all for us back in 1996. Partially fermented in our patented Firestone Union Oak Barrel Brewing System, DBA quickly took the Central Coast by storm and set up the pace for future beers to come. Today, DBA is regarded as a California classic and stands as an iconic tribute to traditional cask fermented English ales. Pale malts create a smooth middle with ribbons of caramel, English toffee, and toasted oak. Now, DBA comes at an ABV of about 5% with three different types of hops. You have Magnum, which is from Germany. Styrian Golding, which is from Slovenia, and East Kent Golding from the UK. So, a nice little European roundout. Uh, and this beer has been awarded the gold medal in 2010, 11, 12, 15, and 16 for special bitter category from the Great American Beer Festival. So, uh, quite uh, some weight to the hallowed halls at Firestone Walker with this beer. It's very tasty, very malty, has a definite amber quality in terms of uh, the uh, pour, and uh, it's a good one. I like it. It's, it's a little heavy, a little bit more on that kind of sugary scale, which uh, you couldn't drink a whole lot of these all at once, but um, it is very tasty, and uh, for the moment, I am enjoying it. All right, speaking of critically acclaimed, let's just go right into our album of the week, which is Rolling Stone's number 493rd album of all time, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot from Wilco. Now, I alluded to this at the very front. I don't even think I alluded to it. I flat out said I did not like this album. I know that is tough for probably a lot of people to hear, especially in terms of what I was reading and gathering in terms of my research. You know, this is a very critically acclaimed album. I think Rolling Stone also did, like, the top 100 albums of the 2000s, and it was, like, in the top 10. So a lot of people, very, very high, on this alternative uh, record, but here's the thing, and this is essentially why you haven't heard from me in weeks, uh, I, I throw the needle down, I listen to the first and second song, third song maybe, but by that point I'm almost just done listening to this. I I know it's, it's this gem of all these different sounds put together with, you know, incredible lyrics that kind of really just speak the truth and yada yada yada, but man, I just, I mean... I just was bored by it. I really was. All credit to Wilco. I mean, I know they've been around for a while now. I mean, this came out in essentially two thousand and one. Oh, sorry, two thousand and two. It was released online for free. We'll get into this story. And so they're they're still kind of in the the mainstream. You you get almost a Wilco album every year, but sorry guys, this just wasn't it for me. But here's the thing. I I'm gonna kind of change things up a little bit. I have a a bunch of like research notes that I want to talk about, and not kind of this formal piece of critique or research that I'm going to read out to you. Um, this has a very great story, and it's really awesome to see kind of successes like this This album came to be, especially in a time when you didn't have kind of the social media buzz and um, kind of build up to the release and then kind of fan support in that tr- kind of way we see today. Here's the thing. We'll just kind of go right into it. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot comes to us as the fourth studio album from alternative country band Wilco, who, when they wrapped up the kind of creation of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, they deliver it to their record label, which was Reprise, and the company, or the the decision makers at Reprise, reacted to it, and I'll quote Rolling Stone, as if the music was caked in anthrax, throwing the album back at Wilco and arranging for them to leave the label immediately. Wow, that is... Uh, a horrible way to kind of move forward in your career. You turn in your work. You feel like it's the best thing ever, and says, "Nope, that's not it." Not only do we not like it, but this is just garbage. And you are just you're off. You're off the team. You are done with us, um, which is crazy. But here's here's where the great story comes in. Wilco had so much um, belief in what they created that they went ahead. And remember, this is 2002. It's not like we all have, you know, streaming, high, fast internet. 2002, they put it online for free, and they say, screw it, you know what? Let's just everybody just listen to it. You can stream it for free. You can download it for free and they racked up you know quite a few it's like 200,000 downloads which is crazy at a time when not a lot of people have the ability to do so. So it gets this huge pop from fans. It's very commercially in not a money-making sense. It's commercially viable an ability or a desire from the people to to get this. So another record company, non such Records, which is owned by the same company as Reprise, they go ahead and buy it and they release it out. So not only did the parent company of both of these labels, they essentially paid for the album twice, which is hilarious. And, you know, it just keeps coming back and maybe it was a good decision after all. Um, but it's just really funny that, you know, if you believe in your material and you just put it out there and, and you know, Fans eat it up. Then there's always going to be somebody who wants to make some money off of it. So it's it's a pretty fantastic story, Uh, and you know not only does the have commercial success, but the critics also really, as I mentioned, um, enjoy the album as well. Me, not so much. So, like I said, I didn't enjoy the actual content or the songs or a whole lot about this album, but. One thing I did like was the album cover. For those of you that have have seen this, you can you can go on the Instagram feed right now of Chasing Underscore RS. It's a very iconic album cover, and I think you know even if you didn't know the name of this album, you you would know that that yeah that's something that people enjoyed in the two thousands, uh, and that's because the album cover uh, comes from a uh, photo shot uh, by Sam Jones of uh, Marina City, which is a skyscraper or condominium plaza in Chicago. And I've actually had a chance to go there. You see it. It's it's kind of almost beehive cylinder, two twin cylinder buildings um, that just kind of stick out like a sore thumb in kind of your traditional Chicago architecture. Pretty much any Chicagoan could recognize these towers. The original official name of them, Marina City, but there's also, they call them the Corn Cob Towers. But I think since this album came out, many people in the city and elsewhere refer to them as the Wilco Towers. Photographer Sam Jones wanted to capture this iconic shot because it's, it's kind of a signature Chicago landmark, which is what Wilco is all about. And it's also nothing else like it in the city, like I was saying. Um, so you have you know, this particular cover, which looks completely different, and it stands out just, I think, essentially as the music does for many people. Another fun story to come out of the development of this whole process was the album name, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It almost sounds like a World War II movie. You have somebody on the radio kind of mentioning out these kind of key terms, colloquial phrases that kind of relate to something, right? Well, Here's kind of where the story goes. Shortly after World War I, mysterious shortwave radio stations began cropping up on long, dormant frequency bands across the globe. These stations were called number stations, and they were pretty much thought to have been created for espionage purposes. But at any given time, a radio listener could just dial into one of these stations and hear an artificially processed voice reciting strings of phonetic alphabet and numeric code, transmissions intended to be heard exclusively by just one person. In 1998, an owner of a London-based record company compiled more than 100 unearthed recordings of all of these various numbers stationed into a four-disc box set entitled The Conet Project, which is kind of a weird thing to buy, but whatever. But in the years leading up to the recording of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, the box set was a staple of Jeff Tweedy, who's the frontman of Wilco, it was like in his car stereo singing constantly, and the singer was especially intrigued by the fourth track called Phonetic Alphabet, NATO, and this was uh, alleged to be an agent repeatedly speaking out the abbreviations YHF. The agent's accent is tough to kind of know where they're coming from, but she delivers each word in a cold, comprehensible monotone, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Tweedy would later explain his fascination with the project to the Chicago Tribune music critic, uh, Greg Cott, saying, There is nothing more abstract to me than the idea of country. These solitudes exist so apart from one another in this sea of white noise and information. And the beautiful thing is they keep transmitting to each other in the hope that someone is going to find them. The beauty is that people still do, still find some meaning in another person, in a relationship, find some way to communicate, even though more often than not, it's in a way that's not what they intended, because some communication is better than giving up or not communicating at all. Take from that what you will, but that is essentially where the three Yankee hotel foxtrots terms come from. So an interesting way to kind of label your album. You know, you get a sense in reading stories like this and a few others, especially in terms of the band makeup, that of course, you know, Tweety is the the mainstay in terms of the band. And it's his kind of imprint that's going forward with with all of it. He's kind of calling the shots, and it's you know, whatever you think about the album, it's not my cup of tea. But again, it kind of goes back to this otherworldliness almost of these recordings, um, and and kind of what comes out of it. A few other kind of moments come about this album, which are they're very interesting. I there is a lot to be said, or a lot of people saying things about. This this album conspiracy theories, uh, just people just digging in a little bit too much. But here's here's a few that kind of just intrigued me. So the album was essentially set to be released on September eleventh, two thousand one, which we know now, of course, the tragic date. And the album has the iconic cover of Twin Towers, albeit Chicago and not the World Trade Center towers, but still, you know, a coincidence nonetheless. And then kind of the third line of all of this being the lyrics, most notably, tall buildings shake, voices escape, singing sad, sad songs. And skyscrapers are scraping together. These both coming from Jesus, etc. And you also have other song titles like War on War and Ashes of American Flags. It's just, I mean, there's nothing super illuminating in terms of how these are connected together, but it's it's an interesting story nonetheless. I just of many, many stories that kind of come from all of this. You know, I've and I got a lot of these from um, a lot of retrospectives based on the 10 year anniversary, which, you know, I guess was a little bit ago, about five years ago, but still, I think this album touched a lot of people at a certain time in the early aughts. And uh, if you were kind of an alternative head at the time, you really connected with this. And maybe it's more of a I'm listening to it now in 2017 rather than 2002. And I think perhaps there's just it just doesn't, to me, have that relevancy that kind of carries over decade after decade, as some of the previous albums we've covered on this list tend to do, or I have no doubt some of the albums moving forward will certainly, um, you know, be longer-lasting pieces. I, I mean, I think yes, I think it's a sign of the times in that this is the number three album of all time of the 2000s, according to Rolling Stone, and yet it's barely on the list in terms of all the albums of all the years and genres ever. So I I think, you know, that's a perfect statement to say, Wow, this isn't, wasn't great. This is just, it is, it just is to me. Um, a few other things, if, if you're interested in getting into this, is essentially um, Alternative Country, which is just a very conservative branch of the indie rock tree, um, kind of a, Road trippy album, a lot of different uh, instruments kind of playing. Um, but it really, for me, it was kind of the monotone of, um, you know, Tweedy's vocals. It just blah, da, blah, 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 blah. It's just, it's just, I was bored, right? And so folk and rock are all kind of mixed together, but really, it's other than the oddball and experimental gestures, it's nothing to, to me. So there you go. Like I said, I'm not going to get into it too much, uh, I just wanted to cover a few of these kind of interesting stories because it kind of tweaked my, my interest, you know, sorry to, to fail you in this week, uh, if you really love this album, I just, I just can't, you know, I just need to keep moving forward, jump to number 492 and hopefully I can kind of jump start what uh, this show is all about. There you have it, Wilco at number 493. Uh, in case you were wondering, I, I did have the album. It's uh, a double LP, and I was able to pick up a brand new copy, unopened. It was still in kind of a plastic bag, uh, down in Hollywood at Amoeba Records, which kind of my last big bundle of record buys in this phase. So now I'll have to go out and hopefully uh, do a little crate digging and um, grab the next batch, which will take probably me to from four ninety two to maybe four eighty five. Uh, and we can really run through the holidays with some fun, different takes. I think we have still a lot of genres to cover, from electronic to um, harder rock. Um, I think Kiss is coming up. There's some fun bands that I think you'll all enjoy as we come into the new year. So, Chasing Rolling Stones, uh, episode number eight. All right. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to another installment, all of you stoners out there. I would strongly encourage any of my listeners to... Please leave a comment or suggestion by email for the show, chasingrollingstones at gmail.com, or shooting us a note on the website at www.chasingrollingstones.com. You can send all your hate mail about how idiotic I am for not liking this album. I'm sure people will do that. Uh, The website is also a location where you will find my blog, with a little more info on each of the albums featured in the episode. You can find photos, links, and sources all there as well, and get your Thor reading on there as well. Don't forget, we are on social, and you can find the show at both Twitter and Instagram at the handle at Chasing underscore RS. And as a special request from me, if you could please, please just take a time, put a rating, and review on the show's iTunes page, I would appreciate that. Um, it does let others know the show exists, and I'd be most appreciative. Before we end, as always, I'd like to thank Leslie. She's sitting in the other room. She allows me to do this and uh, humors me, and uh, you know she's not bursting in and, and laughing at me. So thank you for your encouragement and allowing me to follow my passions. And a special thank you to Rolling Stone Magazine for being the inspiration for this show. I'll see all of you next week as we take a closer look at number 492. Thanks, everyone, and be excellent to each other.